walk. Armed with only my courage and a maglite that I had packed deep within my luggage, its battery power quickly draining. Now, I... I suspected, and there would be some who would say rightly so, that spirits and paranormal activity drained energy in order to cross over into our realm. But I continued out into the black with a light that dimmed ever so slowly. And like my torch, slightly arcing with each sway of my form, I slowly moved down the length of A-deck. My eyes adjusting to each new pattern of an era's authentic carpet and classic decorum. My fingertips touching one another. Reliving the sensation of Abigail's naked skin. Like a young man going to enlist, apprehension and nerves screamed. Like a last meal and a long shackled walk. Fear at the unknown twisted my insides to sickness. Slowly, I was passing the lobby bar and then the A-deck passageway to the hotel registration lobby. Slowly, ever so slowly, I was then passing the restrooms and there, right there, up ahead, I could make out the bend in the ship leading to the immortal chaplain sanctuary and it was then that I... I found myself by two wooden double doors, secured tightly and motionless now like my own body. The restricted area was locked, just as Abigail had said, and the darkness welcomed me as if I were coming home. The first ring of hell opened its jaws and howled. Easing the doors closed tightly behind myself, Resecured with a twist and a turn of the borrowed key, I moved cautiously into the darkness. How many steps had I taken? How many turns through how many hatches and corridors to get here? Right here, where the breadcrumbs in my mind as precise as the guide map in my back pocket. 129 steps forward duck through the hatchway, veer slightly to the left, go down a flight of rusted metal stairs. New deck, new depths. Sixteen steps ahead, just keep going. Just keep going. And I never looked back, not once, not even as I replayed the tour guide's opening words over and over in my mind as I descended into those dark depths. The past isn't dead. No. No, I knew that it wasn't. The past wasn't dead. It's simply waiting for you. Whispers in the Cries Written and performed by Matthew Ewald Produced by Star Chaser Productions The Lower Decks What is fantasy? What is reality? 
Flies were buzzing around me, making me into a new life form of sound. The, the buzzing's cadence lowered as I slowly made my way deeper into the ship's lower decks. I had remembered this location, where the unplanned safety drill had resulted in a hatch being slammed on a young engineer, crushing him. It must have been, what, what, 70 years ago? There were other stories, many other stories that remained clear in my mind, stark realities of this and that. A homicide here, a sad and unexpected accident there, spread over years, decades. Everything that I had etched into my mind from the newspapers I had read just days ago. And yet, with the exception of the one I had come to call Old Salt, I hadn't had any encounters with the souls that this vessel had devoured as its own. Yet, that darkness had now seemed to have set its sights on me, marking me as its own. A plague of blackness that had devoured my grandfather's sanity and now had set its sights on me. Me. Yes. Marked as its own. I belonged to it now. Maybe that was why I had never seen, never encountered anyone or... or thing other than old salt. No orbs, no cold spots or curious odors. Every spectral possibility knew better. Mr. Thetapet did not share. This ship did not share. I was off limits. Like every single fly, all of them trapped in the depths of the Queen Mary, they all belonged to the steel. The other things that I needed to address would have to step aside and wait their turn. The entity that was now using the name Mr. Thetapet had tempted me this entire time. First, he had claimed my grandfather, but not before eating away at the man's sanity. All the time steering him with each haunting, each sudden reveal out of the corner of the eye until he was aboard the Queen Mary, it was a slow game. A game of thorns. A carrot and a stick was far too subtle. Follow the breadcrumbs of souls. So was I. Following the clues that my grandfather had left. Or... Or did this devil make me believe that the dead man's scattered warnings were the clues? I didn't know. I didn't know. At that moment, it, it didn't matter. None of it did. I was here now, a traveler in a nightmare funhouse. I would not turn back until I found a way to appease this evil. Or... Or until I found a way to kill it. Harker had his vampire. Holmes his Moriarty. Arthur, the very blood and lineage in his veins, Victor Frankenstein, his monster. I had the devil. 
I didn't hold that thought for long. And the ghost children were back. And this time the little fuckers were singing. The children sang, dancing as they ushered me deeper down this damnable path. I found myself in a maze. I had lost track of direction. And the dead man's cries. Oh. Well. Those, um. Those belong to my grandfather. He was alive, but in a terrible way. My grandfather was hanging upside down on a cross that was fashioned from the steel and rivets of the Queen Mary, rusted and cracked, the implication being that this makeshift cross had been there for decades. Papa, bound by the same noose he had securely fastened around the neck of Mr. Thetapet those many, many years ago. It was madness. It was all madness and nightmare. Like the madness and nightmare that I felt tearing at my cabin walls. Those same cabin walls that separated my sanity and soul from those that existed within the darkness of this ship. Yes. Yes. It was all madness and nightmare. Regardless, though, the the stench was that of death, my... my grandfather's death. I watched in horror as the children laughed and danced around my grandpa, and then... Those little beasts abruptly stopped. Motionless forms and mannequin poses, wind-up dolls stopped dead. It was as if they were presenting me with the gift of my grandfather's crucifixion. The elder man's mouth was agape, forming a perfect O. Large and longer than humanly possible, but the screams were silent. (laughs) Yet I could hear. Yet I could hear my grandfather's screams clear in my mind. He was sharing the pain of his own personal hell. This was the price of his suicide at the hands of a devil. And it was at this very moment that I knew that something was behind me. Someone. No. No. Some. It was Mr. Thetapet. 
It was the devil. And as if in response to the sudden chill in the air, the ship groaned loudly. Groaned as if in pain. Groaned out loud as if it was a warning for me to run. As if the battered hall of the Queen Mary knew that the devil would get his due as he had done many times before. Run. October 31st, sometime after midnight. Abigail woke up with a smile on her face, and she could tell how radiant that smile truly was by the deep breaths that filled her lungs. The happiness, the warmth of blushing cheeks and upper chest, like a secret meant only for herself, but one she could not keep from the world. And as that radiant smile widened, she delicately covered her mouth. She desperately wanted to suppress the giggles that came with the realization that she was incredibly loud during her lovemaking. Loud enough to wake the neighbors. Loud enough to wake the dead. But she didn't care. She was happy. For the first time in a long while, she, she felt her eyes no longer weary. Her heart no longer burdened with heaviness. For the first time in a long while... She felt free. So this was love. True love. Abigail turned, pulling the sheets higher, her barely covered modesty held in check as she draped an arm over an empty sheet. She had jumped out of the bed, not caring for her nakedness as she searched the small cabin. Her left foot was tapping an uncontrollable beat, adrenaline lacing her veins. Abigail's eyes widened in desperation, and now her entire nude body shivered. And then she knew. Truth was, she knew the moment she draped her arm over the memory of the lover who was no longer there. And then the fear became very, very real. She looked across the small distance of the space that made up the cabin. She looked past the bed with its covers and pillows sweaty and strewn about, the aftermath of passion, and to the deadbolt undone on the door that she herself had locked securely the night before. But it wasn't the deadbolt she was truly focused on. It was her purse slumped beside the door. She didn't need to search its contents. She didn't need to feel around for the key. She knew. She wasn't mad that I had left her. That I had gone into that hell alone. Oh, no. No, no. No, she was angry at the possibility that she herself wouldn't be able to kill me first for doing so. Please, God. She found herself praying inwardly as she threw her clothes on in a rush. Please, God, just let him be all right.
deeper still. I charged blindly, going deeper, being being driven deeper into the ship. I charged past miles of piping that soon resembled German soldiers, those those Nazis screaming in their native tongues what must have been cursed words, opaque tears in their eyes as I as I passed and fought back their clawing fingers and outstretched arms, their war wounds gaping and spilling out black bile and lifeblood in and, and it was these these echoes of the once living that were fused to the Queen Mary in the walls, the pipes, the flooring, part man and flesh, part rivet and steel, a damnable merging in a steampunk hell, one seamlessly becoming the other, cogs turning, steam expelling outwards into the darkness, screaming Nazis, expelling the defecation of bowels of bile and gore everywhere else. But whatever it was that was pursuing me, the devil or not, that presence was no longer there. No, nothing gave chase. Nothing gave chase. Once I had struggled my way through that mechanized purgatory, which, which had produced so many horrors, I, I didn't have to run anymore. And the, the thought made my stomach churn. Regardless, I couldn't run. Couldn't even jog another step. The path had been lost and now terrible visions of sorrow had replaced it. Hundreds of body bags loomed mountainous before me. And all I could do was climb. I pushed through the piles that were stacked so impossibly high in this endless hell, so deep that to me time was unspooling before my very eyes like a film projector spewing out tape in a heaping pile at my feet. It was like I could feel myself falling into darkness's cold embrace, vertigo and black. Everything blurred, the world spun and I was falling. Falling deeper, a never-ending spiral into oblivion, hearing nothing but my own heartbeat, the, the ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. But it didn't sound like ba-bum, it sounded like... <laughs> my own heartbeat, hearing nothing but my own heartbeat and the zipper's teeth pulling apart. Wait, what? The zipper on the closest one moved slowly downward. Whatever, whoever was inside wanted out in the worst possible way. Mom? I mouthed the word as I saw the bag fall away from my mother's familiar visage. 
her cadaver naked with the bluish pale gray of death, autopsy incision unstitched and splayed open wide, her insides rotting and wafting a terrible stench. You let us down, Randy. Her voice. You could learn to be a better son. And then another zipper, another bag. I knew who that would be. I envisioned this as easily as I could Abigail's naked body wrapped in cool, comforting sheets back in the hotel room. I knew who it was. Why did you leave us? My father asked. Why did you fail me? And with that, I knew that I didn't have to run anymore. I didn't have to climb or charge or fight any longer. No. No, I didn't need to run. I didn't have to run because I knew that I was heading right to where the darkness wanted me to be.